Welcome to another episode of Demolition Now, the official podcast of the National Demolition Association. Our goal with this podcast is to provide you with a mixture of content and analysis of the issues impacting the demolition industry, along with engaging interviews of industry leaders, experts, and analysts that will provide unique perspectives on the industry today. If you have suggestions for topics for future episodes, please email them to me at kmckenney at demolitionassociation.com. Also, don't forget to subscribe to Demolition Now through iTunes or Stitcher, available in the Google Play Store. You can also listen to us online through the NDA website. In this episode, we are joined by NDA partner Affinity HR Group's Claudia St. John as she discusses potential HR impacts from the Biden administration, including expanded FF. CRA provisions, regulatory workplace protections, and a federal minimum wage increase. Next, we hear from Jose Blanco, the Secretary General for the European Demolition Association, EDA, as he discusses how the association and its members have been navigating the pandemic and what the industry in Europe has learned as a result. Finally, we hear from NDA's Director of Government Affairs, Kevin McKinney, as he discusses current legislation affecting the industry, including the Biden infrastructure plan. We would like to thank Volvo CE for their sponsorship of this episode. Stay tuned. If you missed the virtual unveiling of our all-new Volvo EC380E Straight Boom Excavator, you can still catch it on demand at volvoce.com slash demo live. Learn how Volvo machines come with everything you need to plug and play directly into your operation. Get your exclusive first look at the new Volvo EC380E, built ready for you, straight from our factory, at volvoce.com slash demo live. That's volvoce.com slash demo live. As everyone knows, we have a new administration in the executive office. That means new heads of the respective agencies, including the Department of Labor. We invited Claudia St. John with NDA partner Affinity HR Group on the program to answer some of the most frequently asked questions we've received in the last couple of months. Claudia St. John is the president of NDA HR partner Affinity HR Group. She's an author, speaker, consultant, and professionally accredited HR executive with broad industry and international experience, helping large and small enterprises develop people, strategies for their businesses' success. Affinity HR Group helps NDA members with a full scope of issues from workforce investigations and legal compliance to strategic planning and workforce development at a discounted price for NDA members. Welcome to the program, Claudia. It's great to have you. Thank you so much for inviting me. I'm delighted to be here. Absolutely. You know, we've, get, we've had so many questions since uh, the new administration came in. And uh, it is so great to be able to have you for this, for this episode. I think it's very timely, especially as the new heads of the agencies are being confirmed in the Senate. Um, and we'll soon to see, start to see some new regulations uh, coming out or some changes to existing regulations. So with that, um, let me start off with the first question. So what's the status of workplace issues related to COVID? vaccines, paid sick leave, et cetera? Sure. So, uh, you know, we're still in it. Um, it's really funny. We are, we've had a lot of, um, at the time of our doing this podcast, there's been a lot of decrease since our peak over the holidays, but we are still at the highest peak that we had before the most recent peak. So uh, while, while we're in this rush and we're excited to get back together and to get back to full business as usual, we still have to be very mindful about the fact that this, this virus is still out and about. Um, right now, we have about 9% of the population has been fully vaccinated. About 16% has, has one, one shot in of the two vaccines that, that require two shots. Um, so, you know, we're, we're making progress. Uh, there's a light at the end of the tunnel. Hopefully, it doesn't seem like it's a train. It looks like it's the end of the tunnel, but we are, you know, working through it. For a lot of employers um, that, you know, most of the folks that we work with went out as hybrid of some sort. So either they went out altogether, depending on their state's requirements, or some element, some aspect of the of their workforce went out remote. 
So now they're contemplating bringing those back in. Um, and the issues that they're dealing with are um, when to bring them back, how to bring them back, still that social distancing and the use of PPE and all that stuff. But also, what do we do about vaccines? Do we require them? And um, that's a really tricky thing. We're still, in most states, not at the level where the general population is being vaccinated. We're still working through our 1As and 1Bs and that, those groups. Um, but when, when, when we have access, our employers going to require it? And um, that's a tough question. Some states are saying, yes, we should require it. We should mandate it because that's how we get to that, that broad uh, population vaccination is by using an employer-based, employment-based way of forcing it through. Um, and then we've got some states that are prohibiting employers from requiring it. Again, still sort of political. Um, but the EEOC has said that we can, employers can require it. And um, at Affinity, our advice is um, start with a voluntary approach. If you had a tough time with folks wearing masks, if you had a tough time getting folks to, you know, socially distance or, or conform to, to those sorts of norms, you're not going to do real well mandating the vaccine. And there are issues relating to um, reasonable accommodation for folks with disabilities and sincerely held religious beliefs. So we're recommending a start with a voluntary, um, but folks should be thinking about this. They should definitely be thinking about, about what they're going to do related to vaccines. I'll tell you one quick story. And that is I had a, an employer in Charlottesville, Virginia, they had all of their workforce was vaccinated. They were considered an essential worker and literally every employee at that company was vaccinated and they could not get them to come back. They could not get all of them to come back. There were still a couple of employees who were working remotely who mm -hmm. wanted that flexibility and were, you know, when you get a bite at that apple, a lot of folks like how that tastes. They don't want to go back to full time nine to five in the office. And with remote work, a lot of employers are having to consider the fact that those employees can get jobs with someone else who will give them that flexibility. So ha having folks back and what that future of that workforce looks like is, is also COVID related, but what a lot of folks are dealing with right now. Right, I'm glad you brought up uh, telework because my next question is, you know, what should employers who continue to have employees teleworking think about in terms of engagement, hiring, performance management? Mm -hmm. Well, they've probably already faced it, right? So if, they've, if they have their folks, if your members have had folks that are, that are remote working, they've struggled with how do we know if their performance is up to speed? How do we know if they're engaged? Um, there's also an emotional piece to it. How are they doing emotionally? And this is an issue that a lot of employers are having to tackle. They never had to tackle it before. They never really cared. Not that they didn't care, but it wasn't in their it wasn't in their lane. Um, but with so many women trying to work at home and raise children and educate children, and so many people at risk of getting sick and having underlying health conditions, and people who are worried about losing their jobs, and you know, th there's just so much volatility, and we're all none of us have any control over it, and and that's a recipe for massive em emotional stress and, and, and mental health stress. So a lot of employers are having to, to tackle that as well. I think for your members, the, the thing to think about are the things to think about. Do, first of all, do you have the policies in place for folks who work remotely? If they no longer come back, do they get their equipment back? Do you have the policies on for time and attendance? There's some core HR policies that employers have to have in place if they're going to maintain a, a remote workforce at any level going forward. We didn't worry about it in March. We didn't worry about it in April because we were all just scrambling. But now if this is a formal way of working forward, you need to have some standards about time, attendance, equipment, OSHA, you still have to have an ergonomically correct workplace, those sorts of things. Um, the other thing I think it's important for folks to think about is, um, in 2020, there was a huge Twitter hack. And these 15-year-old punks, criminals, hacked into Twitter 
and took over the accounts of every Twitter account. So Elon Musk, Jeff Bezos, Joe Biden, Kim Kardashian, all of them, all of them got their their Twitters hacked. These kids just did a simple Bitcoin scam. You know, it, it was it was novice what they did with it. But what they did, they knew that Twitter employees were out. And so they called all of those Twitter employees. Hey, Gloria, it's Sam and IT. Looks like we're having a problem with your account. I just need you. I'm going to send you a link. I just need you to log on and re-log in and, so that we can clear it up. Okay, got it. Great. That's perfect. You're back, you're back up and running. You're good to go. And they basically fished, manually fished all of these employees. And with that information, they took over Twitter, 15-year-olds. And so, so if you have a remote workforce, you've got to realize that organized crime, the drug trade is passe. What organized criminals are doing now, both here and abroad, is they're hijacking small businesses like ours and holding their information ransom for money. And then they're requiring cryptocurrency. That's, that's where crime is these days. So if you're going to be doing this remote work, you need the management tools, you need the mental health support, you need to focus on engagement, but you need to focus on cybersecurity. You are not so small that you are not of interest to some criminal, you know, in the Eastern European bloc or, you know, in Hoboken. Right, so. that, that's, uh, that is such a great point. I mean, you know, we saw just over uh, Christmas and the New Year's, the federal government um, getting the entire system getting hacked with solar yep. wind. Um, And that, you know, that absolutely is a new reality that we face, especially as all all of us are working remote. Um, But, you know, that's slightly different, though, because that seems like that seems like a that seems like a foreign agency trying to mess with us. Right. Mm -hmm. But there's still, you know, Joe somewhere who's going to who would be happy to ransom you guys for twenty thousand dollars. You're not too big. You're not too small. I'm happy to take over all of your data if you'll just give me some money and I can do it from my basement and I might be 15 years old. Unbelievable. Yeah, the, the new reality that, that COVID has foisted upon us with virtual work, I mean, it's definitely, you know, making sure you have company policies in place, um, security in place. Um, to deal with that, you know, how, how, how are your employees managing their login information? You know, all of those and, things. And, we have to and take what is phishing? What, what does phishing look like? How, how, how does it show up? And how do you as an organization develop some, some safeguards so that if you get this phishing thing, don't open it. Do you text somebody? Do you call somebody who, if it's not from Bob and HR or Bob and IT, don't open it. Like these are things that a lot of employers just haven't really thought through, and um, and it's going to be a bigger issue as time goes on. Especially, and I think I mentioned this to you before we got on. Forrester Research Group just basically came out with a report that said that sixty uh, percent of businesses are going to continue to go hybrid. Ten percent are going to go remote altogether. So that's seventy percent of our businesses are at some level dealing with remote work and 30% says they're going to bring them all back. But I'm sure of that 30%, some people are working remote. So this is just a vulnerability that we all have to come to terms with going forward. Right. We started out, um, we started out talking about COVID vaccines and paid sick leave, et cetera. Um, And we mentioned the new administration I know for a lot of our members, you know, the question of, of COVID and liability has come up, especially the transition um, in the exec- executive branch. What's, um, what can our members expect from the new administration? So I think employer liability is an important issue. Um, and uh, during the, the debates in the last administration, a lot of Republicans were trying to get through some comprehensive employer liability protection. Uh, and Democrats, meanwhile, have said no, because if you give them that protection, they won't take the health of their workers seriously. Um, the issue really, there's an interesting case in California right now that's working its way through the courts. 
If you do have evidence of a work-based sickness or illness, that tends to be covered by workers' comp. So we have not to date seen any significant liability happen with COVID so far. We've seen some fines from OSHA, particularly in warehouse and meatpacking, you know, some of those high profile ones. But for your members and most of our clients, um, we haven't seen anything like it because a lot of it is covered by workers' comp. It's there's the case in California is interesting because a man got sick at work and got went home and his wife caught COVID from him. So it's his wife who is suing. His wife is the liability from the employer because the employee, her husband, was covered under workers' comp. So the liability was extended to her because it was, but again, that guy could have infected anybody in his community. I mean, this is the thing about it. So I think there's been a lot of concern around, around liability. I do not, I have not anecdotally or otherwise heard of anyone I know having to deal with liability as a real issue. And we have, we represent janitors. Um, you know, we represent a, a lot of industries that were very active and bringing folks in and working in closed court printers. Um, so, so far we haven't seen it or heard it, but that doesn't mean that it's not, it, it's not relevant, but I, I think there, I, I, I haven't seen it as a real issue. Okay. Now I'm going to ask you to look into your crystal ball. Okay. So <laughs> what do you think will be different about the workplace in the years to come? Oh gosh. Um, so I think there are three things that are um, going to be different going forward. I think this hybrid workforce is going to continue. Um, and I think it's very meaningful for your members in one regard. And that is if your folks have had a bite of the apple again and can work remote, that means that their opportunity to be recruited away from you by someone two time zones away is very real. So the tight labor market is still super tight. And this has given employers the opportunity to see that they can do things differently without having to have somebody working in their own backyard. So I think that um, employee engagement is going to be huge. Employee retention is going to be huge. Um, we didn't, we haven't talked about current labor trends and maybe that would be a, a, good, a good topic next. Um, but I think we're going to continue to see hybrid work, oh, hybrid workforce, like we've talked about, um, that's some sort of like a campus and spoke model where you've got a main campus, but then folks are working at least full-time or part-time away. Um, I think we're going to continue to see virtual workers, which is going to put a lot of pressure on everybody to maintain their workers because now workers are going to have a lot more opportunity to go somewhere else. Good news for your members is now they can hire people from from elsewhere, um, and so I, I think that's hiring tools, hiring technology, interviewings, you know, collaboration, all of that virtually will continue. The other trend that I don't know, I don't know how this relates to your members specifically, but we're seeing it. We were seeing it before 2020, and we're definitely going to see it going for, for, forward. Is the evolving role of sales. Um, good old fashioned sales calls and let's go out and have a steak dinner and over wine we'll talk through you know we'll we'll, we'll get a deal done that's going away it, it was killed during covid but also the people that are buying those services the client base is more millennial gen z and so they're not the old sort of the old school outside sales big expense account kind of things it's Sales seems to be evolving more into a combination of training, account managing, marketing, and customer service. Um, buyers want to be able to go online and vet what they can get and then reserve those special questions for their, for their account managers. They want to be more self-sufficient and more technology driven. So I think, I think that whole sales role is really up for grabs. Um, going forward with technology and evolving buyer. 
So I'm going to just go back to remote um, and hybrid uh, employment. You know, as, as you know, many NDA members um, work in multiple states on different mm-hmm. projects. Um, you know, and it's been one of the, since I've, you know, over the last couple of years, it has been one of the most frequently asked questions. Oh, I'm looking for somebody in Louisiana. We have a project down there. Or, um, you know, do you, do you have a contact out in California where, you know, we were just bidding on a job out there. So, you know, I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about um, some of the issues that folks need to be focused on when having employees working in multiple states. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, we've been hired by your members to help recruit and hire um, employees for on-site, longer-term on-site work. So, So we've had these conversations with your members. I'm staggered by the um, challenges that I think that type of a workforce creates. And I'm not, I don't know whether your members are aware of it. And what I'm referring to is if you have an employee working in another state, that employer has to pay the income, like they, that employee pays income tax in that state. And they also have, the employer has to pay workers' comp, unemployment tax, the employer portion of the payroll tax, and they need to conform to the labor laws of that state, whether that's mandatory leave or break or medical marijuana or whatever. I mean, you name it. And what was really crazy about COVID was a lot of folks were like, I'm out, I'm going to go stay with my mom, or I'm going to go get Airbnb, I'll, I'll be working from a beach in Florida, you know, I'm gone. And a lot of those employers did not realize that those tax and labor law consequences applied to them based on the state that the employer is based in and where the employee went. And some states were like, good, you don't need to, you know, if you're here because of COVID, you you get a pass. But there are other states that say you work for one hour in our state. We want that. We want that income tax and you need to conform to our, our, our tax laws. Your members have folks floating around all the time. Your members have folks working outside of the state for, for a week, for a month, for three years. And I do not know, I do not know how your members are keeping track, not just of the tax, because they could have an accountant or a bookkeeper or a payroll company taking care of the tax piece, but they have to be compliant with all of the labor law pieces. We have, we have a team of people that do nothing but that, just keeping track of that for your members. So I just want to put that out there. I do not know whether your members are aware that it's not just payroll, unemployment, and workers' comp tax that they have to pay. It's all of the myriad of state and local labor law that they have to comply with. We do have a, just as, as a shameless plug, we do have a um, something called our HR support plan. And it's a, it's a subscription model where you just let us know where your folks are and we'll keep track of that for you and let you know, um, you know, what, what you need to do to be compliant in those states. But another one of those crystal ball things, Jeff, is that we are expecting with the Biden administration and Democrats in the House and in the Senate, a ton of new workplace related legislation. Mm -hmm. We're expecting OSHA, the Department of Labor, EEOC, ICE, all of these agencies that were were adjusted under Trump are going to become much more labor friendly. Biden is a very labor friendly guy. So he wants to make collective bargaining easier. He wants to make um, all those sort of workplace protections stronger. And then you also have states who've been moving ahead because Congress hasn't really done anything since the first first couple of years of the Obama administration. I mean, it just there has been gridlock or deregulation that states have kind of moved forward with that. Um, so so employers have to deal with all that. It's going to be a rough year for them from a workplace uh, perspective, I think. 
So, <clears throat> you know, I think there's nothing better that highlights the, you know, the difference, the differences between the states. And we were just talking about this before um, <clears throat> we jumped into this interview, but, um, you know, with CISA and essential uh, worker status, you know, that varied um, when COVID first hit. Um, and then CISA came out with some guidelines and most of the states sort of fell um, on, you know, and adopted those guidelines, but there are still a few outliers, but it just underscores the fact that, you know, each state is responsible for the health and safety of their, their respective citizens. So, you, you know, in some cases you have a patchwork of, of, of things. And so, you know, I, I am um, glad to hear that uh, you have had some members and you are working with some members on this issue. Um, but, you know, I wanted to follow that up with, you know, tell us a little bit about, you mentioned the, the service plan, but tell us a little bit about um, what Affinity HR Group does. Sure. So, um, you know, we were designed to support associations and their members. So that, that was, that's why we're called Affinity HR Group, because we are an affinity partner of the association. So we're designed to help NDA members work and operate successfully as members of NDA. And we have sort of four basic areas that we offer support. One is HR compliance. So we can help you with handbooks and policies and procedures. We get a lot of calls around like, we had this situation, we had this workplace incident, we have this leave request, we don't know how to handle it. COVID has really put that on the like, somebody's out, what do we do? Who do we tell? What do we have to do? How do we remediate the office? What are the notifications? What's the leave request? So all that compliance stuff um, we offer support for. We also are full service headhunters and recruiters nationally. So we have done some work like that for your members trying to staff up in some of their um, project manager type positions in some of their locations. Um, we have a compensation practice. That's another area that you and I haven't really talked about, but um, wage compression is a serious issue in 2021. We have gotten more compensation projects in the first two and a half months of this year than we had in the last three years combined. And it's because with the tight labor market, a lot of folks have had to adjust their pay grades to bring on talent. Um, they've had a hard time hiring, and so they have to pay more in order to get it. And then that throws their whole internal uh, equity of their pay out of whack. So, um, so we have a compensation practice to help folks sort of market price positions, but also get their, their systems up and running. Um, and then the work that I like to do, which is uh, team development, communication, employee engagement, um, those sorts of organizational development and, and workforce development uh, work. So kind of the whole package. Um, we do have this HR support plan. It's $79 a month. Um, and uh, you get a free hour of our time to help work through some of these issues. And we keep track of all of these legislative uh, things that are happening out there for your members. So. Um, if you were to go to our website, it's, it's actually affinityhrgroup.com forward slash NDA. You'll see a menu of our benefits. And I know we're on your website as well. So um, you can see what we do and how we price. And we're just very flexible. We're here to help your members. That's our job. Yeah, and I have to say, I mean, you know, the members you have worked with, um, you know, nothing but um, kudos to your and your, you and your team. Um, you know, we have, um, we've had answers, um, to questions lickety split, and we certainly appreciate your partnership with us. Um, it's great to be able to offer our members this discounted rate to, um, such an invaluable service, especially in light of all the craziness that's going on in the world. So it was great to finally get you on the podcast mm -hmm. and I hope you will come back again because we continually get these questions and, you know. Some of them, I just, I, I'm, I'm stumped and I'm, I'm glad we have you as a resource to help us out. And so. Stump the chump. We like to do that. <laughs> and well, we have an upcoming webinar, yeah? Yes, we do have an upcoming webinar. That's correct. On March 18th. Yeah. Um, and we look forward to that. We are sending out um, some emails. I hope you all can join us for that. And we will have future webinars going on uh, with Claudia and Affinity HR. So thank you for taking the time with us and appreciate you and Affinity HR. Thanks so much. Stay safe. You too.
Welcome back. For our next segment, I would like to introduce Jose Blanco, the Secretary General for the European Demolition Association, EDA. The EDA was founded in 1978 and is the leading platform for national demolition associations, demolition contractors, and suppliers. Jose has been Secretary, um, let me start over again. Hold on just a second. Actually, I'll just keep rolling. <clears throat> All right. It's early morning for you, eh? <laughs> yeah, it is. All right. Okay. All right. Welcome back. For our next segment, I would like to introduce Jose Blanco, the Secretary General for the European Demolition Association, EDA. The EDA was founded in 1978 and is the leading platform for national demolition associations, demolition contractors, and suppliers. Jose has been Secretary General or Chief Staff Officer of the Association since 2011. EDA objectives are to look after, promote and protect the interests of the demolition industry in Europe, to set and promote European standards on demolition techniques and promote recycling of demolition debris, to be involved in and have an impact on health and safety legislation, to be involved in improving the legislation concerning the removal, depositing and recycling of demolition debris, to exchange information on techniques, working methods and training, maintain contacts with similar organizations in other parts of the world, e.g. the United States and Asia. EDA has a strong focus on developments in Europe, which are of industry interest to the demolition industry. So welcome to the podcast, Jose. We're very happy to have you. Um, first, for our listeners, can you provide a brief overview of how the EDA operates and who its members are? Thank you. Thank you very much, Jeff. Uh, thank you for having me and thank you to the NDA for this uh, kind invitation. Um, it's always a pleasure for the, for the EDA to cooperate with NDA. We have such a long history of uh, cooperation and, and partnership, so it's always a pleasure to, to be around. Uh, even in times like this, uh, where we cannot meet in person. So coming back to your question, you know, EDA uh, is, as you said, Jeff, the European Demolition Association, but I'll, I'll tell you that uh, Almost none of the words on the name are correct. Uh, we are European, but at the, uh, at the same time, we have members from uh, almost all over the world, um, Australia, New Zealand, South Africa, Asia, of course, the, the, the US and different parts of America. So uh, our strong focus is Europe because uh, most of our members are within the European Union, not all of them, Serbia, Russia, they're not part of the European Union, but our strong focus is uh, what's going on around the European um, community or the European industry. Um, as you said, we are the demolition association and we started as a, as a demolition association, but more and more we talk about uh, something that we call DDR, which stands for demolition, decontamination and recycling. It's not possible anymore to talk just about demolition, even though, once again, this is the, the, the core of our industry, the core of our business, but uh, it's, it's so related with decontamination of hazardous substances and end of life of the materials that uh, we have to speak quite often about uh, DDR. And the last word is association. Uh, our members, our, our membership is very uh, different depending on, on where you look at them. And we are more like a federation because uh, we are, a lot, many of our members are national associations, some of them like the NFTC are even federations on them on, the NFTC from the, from the UK. But uh, our, our, our core membership is national associations from many uh, different European countries, all the way from Russia to Spain, from Ireland or UK to um, Serbia and Greece. So, uh, I mean, all across the, the, the European continent, but we also have a direct membership for uh, companies, uh, especially suppliers, manufacturers that want to have um, visibility for the brand and contractors that want to be aware or, or have a, a, a exposure for their brand. So our membership, as you can see, is very diverse. Well, thank you. Yeah, that's a, that's a little bit different. Whereas in the, the NDA, we have direct memberships. Um, looks like you have a mix of both primarily um, member associations in different countries. Um, you know, we too focus on membership throughout the world. Um, but uh, it's interesting, you guys have such a, a varied mix. Um, 
and you know, um, and also you know your your focus too to include uh, demolition debris and recycling. Um, you know, it, that is a focus of NDA, but you guys seem to go a little bit more in depth, especially with your annual reports, which I know we'll get to here in a second. But, um, you know, given the environment over the last year, you know, how, what are the EDA's 2021 plans? You know, um, how are you navigating the pandemic this year? Okay, that's a very good one, you know. Um... We were in, uh, I mean, as EDA, we had a period from uh, 2015, maybe to 2019, very intense in Brussels, uh, where we had to be involved in advocacy related with circular economy, which became at the time, I mean, now it's, it's kind of global, but at the time became a trending topic here on, on the uh, legislative uh, phase. And we were very involved. In fact, we did some uh, very large events with the cooperation of NDA delegates as well in Brussels, the DDR Forum and Expo in 2017. And, and, and we were very involved on that. But towards the end of 2019, we started to change the focus because the, the part of the legislation for circular economy was almost over in, in Brussels. And then it was going to the member states. So we had started to uh, change the focus to be more present with the events of the national associations and so on. But as you can imagine, all of these plans went away. Everything just blew up on, on 2020, no events, no possibility to support our members in that, in that way. But um, the pandemic brought some very interesting uh, new things to the scenario in the sense that now um, everyone is used to connecting uh, to a Zoom meeting or to a GoToMeeting or Google Meet, you name it. I mean, Microsoft Teams, you name it. People just got used to, okay, I have to participate in something, might be on a different language, might be on, on a different country or different time uh, zone. But this is one of the good things. And uh, this allowed EDA to develop uh, some of the working groups that we always had difficulties to move forward. And the reason is that, uh, as you know, we have to deal with many different languages. It's not only the words, it's what they mean. So it takes time to speak with each other and understand what it, what it means. So uh, because we reduce the time of travel and uh, it's easier for people from many different countries to get involved, uh, one of the good things for, for us as, as EDA was that uh, we could accelerate many of the different topics that we wanted to uh, put working groups on. And I think we will talk about this later on, but um, we are now starting to see the result of some of those working groups that started very strongly in 2020. So we are uh, about to release a guide, a guide on um, attachment for demolition. Uh, in May, we will release another one about carrier for demolition. Towards the end of the year, we are planning to, uh, to publish uh, a guide on circular economy uh, in the sector of uh, in the construction sector from the perspective of the demolition contractors so uh, these documents of course go through a discussion process and, and, a, and a translation process and so on but uh, we are in that sense we are um, satisfied the documents are coming out and these documents are the result of a lot of internal discussion among the members and also to our national associations this kind of documentation helps them to establish a dialogue with their uh, with their parties at, at uh, political parties on national level. So in general, we as an organization, and I guess we will talk a little bit about uh, our, our members, but we are an organization. Uh, we are satisfied with the work, and we are eager to go back to the to the events in person. <laughs> you know, I, I uh, our members are are itching to to get back together face to face. We had a smaller meeting in Florida. First, we canceled, we had to cancel our larger um, expo and convention. Um, but I can tell you next year in San Diego is probably going to be one of the biggest, um, you know, just judging by the, the amount of enthusiasm for it. Um, so we hope to see you there as always be in San Diego, February 26th through March 2nd, um, 2022. Please tell us, um, you know, you talked a little bit about it, but how has the industry adjusted? You know, what is, what is the backlog or the pipeline of work in Europe right now for demolition? Well, first things first, I want to be there. I want to be in San Diego next year because it's always good to see the colleagues from the, from the industry, uh, to learn on the informal conversations and also, of course, on the, on the fast sessions that you do. And it's always really, really good to, 
to participate. I encourage everyone to, to get involved on as many events from the industry as possible. And kudos to the to the NDA convention, always very good. So regarding the industry, um, uh, I, I'm always very careful when it comes to, you know, how is the industry doing? Because it's different uh, from country to country. And even within the same country, you can have significant differences depending on the, on the region. You know, uh, when you speak about the UK, it's not the same London as, as uh, some other areas. When you speak about France, it's not the same the, the Paris, and especially now, which very large uh, civil engineering projects going on. It's not the same everywhere. But in general, as, as you mentioned before, we benchmark and we measure the industry on a regular basis. Last year, for the first time, uh, we decided to do twice our industry report. We did a very short version of it in, in May uh, because of the pandemic to try and understand what was going on with the industry. And uh, we saw that most of our contractors were a little bit scared. In May, the situation was very different than, than it is today because some of the Northern um, European countries were almost not affected, especially in construction industry. Everything was more or less normal. While the Southern part, especially France, Italy, Spain, we were hit uh, very severely. But then we did it again. We did our industry report and we did a lot of surveys. We do it in 16 different languages. So, so we did the, the industry report in, um, in September, so people uh, could have an idea what was the forecast a little bit more precise for, for the year. And, you know, first things, you have to understand that most of our membership, most of our contractors in Europe are SMEs. Over 75% of our contractors will have a turnover under 50 million euros. So this is kind of the, the reality here. And... Uh, only of, of the of all the companies that we interview and the, we survey, only 25% of them have more than 75% of their income coming from demolition, which means uh, the majority of our members have different sources of income. So this is good because SMEs tend to be very resilient, very flexible. They adapt. They they take different jobs, and uh, so we were expecting towards the end of the year that. Uh, even though they were very, how to say, uh, very scared about what could be the numbers, in general, um, way over half of our membership uh, saw a small growth last year. Regarding this year, the situation is, uh, we don't know yet. We the, the conversations that we had with our members, we are starting to run now the, the industry report, but the conversation we have with them is that they have uh, sufficient work for this year especially in certain areas, industrial demolition and larger projects. Uh, most of the members have uh, the backlog almost for the full year. So there's a lot of work um, going on. There's um, high demand for cer certain areas, uh, power plants in certain in industrial facilities. There's a lot of work uh, right now. Urban environment, once again, it depends a little bit on where you are. It's not the same in uh, in the capital cities than in the in the surroundings, but in general, it seems there's uh, sufficient work. Um, decontamination grows every year. This is something that we see on the report. It's not only asbestos. We are, are starting to talk about other substances that are more and more in the, in the daily uh, work of our members. PCB, especially in certain countries, lead is growing in France. HBCD is coming strong in the UK. So there are certain hazardous substances that are becoming an important uh, part of the income. So, I mean, it's a mix of all of this. It's a mix of all of this. In general, to reply to your question, uh, our members are satisfied with the amount of work considering the general situation. We were a little bit more concerned about our manufacturers because last year was a little complicated, you know. And um, of course, for, for practical reasons, uh, manufacturers are eager to go back to events and to make new contacts, to showcase the products. Hopefully we have next year uh, Bauma, which is the, an event done every three years. And it's a little bit like Eurocon Expo and it uh, mobilizes a lot of people and mobilizes a lot of new product launches, uh, new releases and so on. So hopefully we will be able to have Bauma because that usually puts a lot of uh, new products into the market, excitement and, and willingness to, to, um, to do new things. So we're looking forward for, for, for next year, but I will be able to tell you more details maybe in a couple of months when we have the industry report ready. Gotcha. So follow-up question to that, what, it, what do you think the industry has learned from the pandemic? 
So uh, once again, we are uh, an industry that is based on job site. You know, most of our work is job site work. And uh, we already had before the pandemic, some of our members already uh, uh, complain or, or, or put some red lights about uh, the amount of paperwork that was included as, as part of the demolition jobs or, or anything related. So this is something that uh, some of our members have complained that, uh, you know, the amount of paperwork and trouble uh, related with uh, any project has increased a little bit. But uh, as I said before, we as an industry uh, have taken advantage of the new technologies and, and doing uh, things online and meeting with each other online. This is also positive for the industry. I think the industry is also going to um, just focus on short-term projects more because we also saw that uh, customers with contracts they will just, you know, say, "Oh, we have to push this contract. We don't know what's going to happen." They not not necessarily respected everything that was in the contract. So focus more on the short term and focus more on what is already about to start or in the process to start. Because sometimes contracts can change significantly in this kind of scenarios. We didn't have a lot of cases of um, of layoffs or, or, or situations where, where the industry had to restructure significantly. Uh, we also saw that it's very positive to have multiple ways, ways of income. So we thought this was a, a little bit of a weakness because we didn't have a, a large amount of companies highly specialized, but actually we saw that this is uh, positive for the industry, that they do different things. And what else? I think that's pretty much it. I don't know if if you have any other questions about this topic. No, I you know I think from um, that's really interesting. You know, from from our perspective in the United States, I, I can tell you that interest in robotics um, and technology has gone through the roof. We have a guidance document on on robotics. Uh, one of the biggest questions we've been getting from members is. Um, um, for that documents, um, for connections, for information on um, robotics. So I think that that's, that's um, an interesting um, angle here, you know, especially as, um, you know, we're more and more concerned about safety, health, et cetera, as we should be. Um, I think robotics is a potential one solution um, to, to help that out. So that's, that's really interesting to see, um, you know, the, between our two, um, between the United States and Europe, um, the differences there. We too um, experienced, um, back in May, we did a survey as well. We, we saw that um, most of our members is 17%. Um, so most of our members didn't see any change in their backlog, about 17% did. Um, and then when we surveyed them again in the fall, um, we saw a little bit of optimism there um, you know, in terms of people getting, starting to get more work. And now, um, I think with inf the potential for infrastructure here in the United States, we're seeing, um, a lot more optimism and people getting back to work and backlogs are growing again, which is a great thing. So, um, listen, Jose, I, I really look forward to seeing you again in person. I know that, um, World Demolition Summit is coming up in Chicago, the NDA has um, their board meeting in conjunction with the World Demolition Summit. So I hope you will stop by our board meeting um, and give a little update on uh, how things are going there. But, um, and again, as I said before, we always appreciate you coming uh, to our expo, uh, which is in San Diego next year. So um, it's been a real pleasure. Any parting words for the group? Well, uh, same thing here. You know, it's always a pleasure to meet with the community over there, with the demolition family. Um, thank you very much for, for the kind invitation. Uh, this industry uh, keeps on growing because we have uh, new members in the family. But at the same time, there's a lot of people that is there and that you can reach out to. So uh, it's really good to have uh, this connection with the NDA. Thank you for the, for the invitation. And hopefully we'll see you in Chicago. And if not, you know, we see each other in another event, maybe in Paris uh, next year or in Serbia, or we, we don't know exactly where yet, but, uh, and I will try to be also in, in San Diego. Thank you everybody. And all the best to the NDA family. Cheers. Thank you, Jose.
Earlier this month, President Biden introduced the American Jobs Plan, which outlines broad proposals to revitalize our nation's infrastructure and create millions of new jobs. NDA has reviewed the president's plan and has specific policy recommendations should Congress consider infrastructure legislation later this year. Taking action on these needed priorities will help rebuild America and provide the demolition industry with the certainty needed to maintain and expand its workforce. Specifically, NDA supports several provisions outlined in the American Jobs Plan, including rebuilding and revitalizing highways, bridges, ports, airports, transit systems, and drinking water infrastructure, building, preserving, and retrofitting more than 2 million homes and commercial buildings, modernizing our nation's schools and childcare facilities, upgrading veterans' hospitals and federal buildings, boosting investments in workforce development and job training programs, and investments in the remediation and redevelopment of brownfields and Superfund sites. In addition to the proposals listed above, NDA is requesting that Congress include the following provisions in any future infrastructure legislation. Expediting environmental reviews by giving the Army Corps of Engineers primary authority to make jurisdictional determinations under the Clean Water Act and removing the EPA's authority to veto a CWA Section 404 permit. Streamlining the federal permitting process, including the use of concurrent reviews and reasonable time limits for agency decisions. Encouraging similar permitting reforms at the state and local levels. Supporting proposals to help alleviate the labor shortage in the construction industry expanding educational programs such as Pell Grants and alter the Carl Perkins Career and Technical Education Program to boost and encourage apprenticeships, work-based learning and others, complementing and strengthening existing infrastructure tools such as private activity bonds, returning to a biannual process for approving the Water Resources Development Act, which authorizes important navigation, flood control, recreation and environmental protection projects. Congress should also fully fund the projects through the Energy and Water Appropriations Bill. NDA is going to be working with the House and Senate committees over the coming months to ensure that our priorities are included in any comprehensive infrastructure legislation. We would like to thank the sponsor of this episode of the podcast, Volvo CE. That concludes this episode of the podcast. Stay tuned for our next episode coming up in May. Thanks for joining us.